The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Tonight, a game show reveals a terrible secret. What would you do if you found tiny people taking a bath in your bathroom sink? What? And then we travel to West Virginia, where a small creek bubbling through the dark forest actually has a powerful secret. Is there a ghost in West Virginia that can warn us whenever a president will be assassinated? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. Feeling a lot better. I think you guys can hear that on my voice. Still have the cough. That cough's been around for a couple weeks now. But we got a lot of stuff to cover, so let's go ahead and jump right into this. Now, this show is a daily show, so this is happening tonight. But this also takes place in Germany, so by the time I'm recording this at 7 p.m. on March... 24th by the time by the time I'm recording it it's probably already happened in Germany but still that's our timely music news so big brother is the show where you get the contestants they sit in the house and then like people get voted I think I've I can't ever say that I've ever watched more than a few episodes of it but they get voted out I believe and they win money or something or they win the house I don't know maybe the end the last person in the house actually owns the house but it was a British show, then it was spread all over the world. Big Brother Germany is going on right now. There's a couple other Big Brothers going on right now. And the the idea is this. Ten people or whatever. And you're like, Jason, can't you do basic research? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get a group of people in a house. They're totally cut off from the outside world. And they bicker and squabble. And us normals, us homo sapiens, get to watch these guys 24 hour on camera feed. Technically, we're the big brother. We're the observing audience. But there's actually a big brother in the house that can give news alerts or... It doesn't really give news alerts. Can uh, prompt drama. Basically, there's an overriding force in the house. So, people get voted out of the house. And then there's like this huge crowd. Woo! Because you go in and you're a nobody. And then you come out and you're a celebrity. People have been watching your antics for a week or two or three or four. However long you last on the show. Oh, yeah, woo, you come out and you find out you have a fan base and or a bunch of stalkers. But, you know, so we have two different things going on. We have a bunch of people isolated in a house and they have no access to the outside world. They have no television, no news, nothing. The Big Brother show in Germany, it started on February 6th. This season started on February 6th. And at that time, coronavirus, you had like maybe a couple dozen cases in Germany, a couple dozen cases in America and stuff like that. They've had no news about what's going on in the outside world. This is there's a lot of stuff that's messed up about this. One, they're not telling them about it. They're not this is the gimmick, okay? This is what they're doing tonight on IT on live TV. They're going to announce to these people who've been sequestered in their house since February 6th. They're like, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in Big Brother Germany history, 
we're going to let you guys know what's going on in the outside world. And I was like, whoa, what's it going to be? Everyone's sick. There's a, there's a disease rampaging across the planet. Be like, what? I don't want to know that. They're getting ready to announce that on live television tonight. There have been, so when someone gets voted out of the house, another person takes their place. The people who have taken their place, one person just entered the house a couple days ago. I hope they tested him. I hope they made sure the guy wasn't sick. And they said, you cannot mention what's going on outside at all. Even the pandemic, especially the pandemic. You can't say anything. They've been teasing, they've been advertising this. Tune in tonight, where we let 10 people know what's going on. That's horrible. That's horrible. And that definitely raises the stakes for the show. Because now you definitely don't want to get voted out. Because you know where you're at. You're isolated. You're... In the lap of luxury, you have unlimited food and water. Now you're like, oh, oh my god, I, I live in an apartment with like 10 other roommates and they're super disgusting. Please don't vote me out. Like, the stakes for the show are so high now. So, and I guess I should say this. When uh, we had a similar thing here in the States, 9-11 happened. And they were doing a season of Big Brother. And the rule was, don't tell anyone what's going on in the outside world. But one of the girls in the house lost somebody in 9-11. So they did say, hey, guys, we got attacked by terrorists. And they kind of broke the rules for that. And they a couple other seasons are doing Big Brother right now. They've broken the rules for that. But to, to let them know what's going on. In the Canadian Big Brother, this was cre- this is creepy. Canadian Big Brother, right? The way I described it, remember, the people get voted out and they leave. And there's like a massive crowd outside the house. Yeah, cheering. You were nobody two weeks ago. But now we love you. Ah! Recently, they had the vote out thing, right? And they voted the person saying goodbye to him, and they walk out the door, and everyone's like getting ready to hear the uproarious applause. It's dead silent outside because there's no audience. Social distancing. The, the Canadian Television Network, or whatever, didn't have anyone come. They, you can't be that close to anyone. So you know the gimmick of the show. You've, you've been watching it growing up, and now you're on it. You know what to expect. Someone walks out that door. It's dead silent outside. The people are like... Because they have the hour-long special that you can watch on television, and then you can watch them on webcams. When people were watching the webcam footage after the person leaves, people in the house are waiting to hear the roar, and they don't hear anything. And then they're talking among each other later that night, and the people are like, why didn't we, why didn't we hear anything? And the other person's like, I don't know, that was really weird, right? And they're yeah, yeah, like... Did they, like, soundproof the house somehow? Which would be impossible, but that's what they're thinking. That's the only thing I can think of. Like, they must have somehow created some sort of... Did Canadian television use all that money they got from Degrassi High and build, like, a soundproof <laughs> sci-fi dome around the building? Like what? And they start discussing why weren't there anyone outside. And then the big brother, who, like I said, can speak in this intercom system over the house to talk to them. As these people are trying to figure out what could possibly be going on outside that there was no one there to greet the person exiting the house, the big brother voice speaks from above and says, please stop talking. And everyone in the house just gets quiet. They did eventually a couple days a couple days later tell the big tell the people in that house what was going on and that's why there was no crowd but again definitely raises the stakes for the show you don't want to get voted off now i wanted to cover that story for two reasons one i think it's absolutely inhumane to make people fight to stay in a house when this is going on too i want to talk about a show called uh, dead set this is and when i was reading this article 
They, they talked about the show Dead Set. Dead Rabbit recommends Dead Set. It is a show about the Big Brother house in Britain, which is where Big Brother originally started. The Big Brother house. And all these people, they're totally isolated. They're a bunch of like, you get all these strangers putting this house together and they have 24-hour cameras on them. And a zombie apocalypse starts outside. It's it's one of the best zombie movies I've ever seen. It was actually a mini-series. But I have it in the show notes. You can watch it on YouTube. I also got that movie Dig. I, I said it was super rare to find. I found that on YouTube. That's also in the show notes for this episode as well. But um, I definitely watched Dig. I watched it the other night. It's still an amazing documentary. But Dead Set, it's... Uh, and then they're in the Big Brother house. And zombies are laying siege. And this one girl's boyfriend is like trying to get to the Big Brother house to save her. It's really dark. So you may want to save it till after all this is done, but um, definitely it's on there. Dead Set, Dead Rabbit recommends Dead Set, and Dig. It's such a great documentary. I also want to say this. I've reached my level with uh, coronavirus like news. I don't even read it anymore. And I would suggest to most of you guys, if you haven't reached it, to stop reading it. I know the basic stuff. Don't take ibuprofen. They say don't take ibuprofen. Keep your hands washed. It can stay. Now they're saying it can stay on surfaces for 17 days. But then you look into that and it's like, it doesn't. It's not contagious at that point. You know, I just know if I get cardboard from outside, I don't touch it for 24 hours, anything. You know, basic stuff. I stopped reading all of the horror stories about it. I don't even look at the headlines. That's not true. I look at the headlines, but I got tired of clicking on these clickbaity links and finding either fake information. That makes it far more horrible than it actually is. And there's a lot of that going on. It's really weird. I found stories that were 100% that were absolutely horrifying. I was like, oh my god. And then other people go, is that Twitter from that doctor who's telling you that story from Italy? That he's misspelling words. He misspelled his job. That's not a real tweet. This is fake stuff. But they're getting clipped and hammered. It's scary. Don't get me wrong. It is scary. And you should social distance and if you can self-isolate and do all these containment things i'm not saying that it's fake or anything like that but what i'm saying is that we can overdo on the scary news about it we need to know the basics that's the same thing there's one thing between knowing about isis and then watching isis beheading videos right you get the point there's a there's a brutal terrorist regime taking over swaths of the middle east you should be aware of basic facts but that doesn't mean you have to go start reading articles where it's telling you what they did. Something like that. So that's that's the approach I've taken towards this. I got the basic information. And I think it was really overwhelming for me, honestly, that first week and a half. We're still in it, but just reading so every hour looking for new articles to read about stuff. And it was really, really affecting me. It was really getting to me. Doesn't mean I'm ignoring the danger. But it doesn't mean that I'm overwhelming my sense of self and my... My like you don't want to get too anxious about it. You just want to be careful. That's the main thing. This is something that we and now this has turned kind of preachy, but I just I, I I want to be preachy right now because I don't I don't I know that we already feel isolated just in a normal life, and now that we actually have to stay away from people, we can feel it even more isolated. So don't ignore the news, but know your limit. I've reached my limit. Now I'll go to websites. I'll look at the headlines. That's it. I've reached my limit. I'm doing what I can do, and I'm I'm no longer clicking on these horror stories of this person suffering from this or this. Da, 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 da. I got really too deep into it, and it was just too much. People may say, "Ah, you're putting your head in the sand," but I say, "No, I think it's the same thing as 
knowing about a global terrorist group versus having to delve into what they do when they enter a village. You don't need to know that information. You just know that they exist and stuff like that. So know what the problem is. Know how you can prevent it yourself. Know what you can do to not get yourself sick or other people sick. And then go on. You don't have to be clicking on every single creepy Twitter or article that has a sad headline. Just keep going forward. Let's go ahead and move on to our next story, though. Our next story takes us to Malaysia. So let's hop on board the Carpenter Copter. We're flying out to Selang Baru. Selang Baru. You guys know where that's at, right? I hope so, because I don't. I'm flying the Carpenter Copter. We're flying out there. It's March 1989. We're going to meet a little kid, right? Some nine-year-old boy. His name's Faizul Effendi. And he's walking to school. The little backpack. He has it over one shoulder because he's one of the cool kids. He's not one of those lamos that has it over. I used to be that kid. I didn't want to put my backpack on both both shoulders because it looks super lame. And then, like, your back starts to hurt. By the time you get to high school and the books are super heavy, you're like, oh, you look like Quasimodo every time you walk everywhere. But anyways, I still did it. Nowadays, I put it on both shoulders because I don't care. Uh, Faisal is walking down the street to school, and he sees this guy walk by. Now, that's normal, right? A lot of times when you're walking down the street, other people are walking down the street too. But this guy was only six inches tall. And this little dude... It's just kind of walking by. Now, here's the thing. You're walking down the street. You see a six-inch person, which is unreasonably small. Obviously, there are people, there are little people, and they'll be like three feet, two feet tall. But six inches is is not normal for anything outside of a uterus, right? But you see a little six-inch person walking down the street. What do you do? Quick, Quick reaction time. What do you do? Now, I would probably, like, jump back. <gasps> And then I would um, regain my composure because I'm cool. And I'd put my easily take my backpack off because it's only on one shoulder. And then I'd get down on one knee and go, who are you? And I'd try to communicate with this six inch person. Faisal does what I think. I think you'd basically have three reactions. You'd run away because it's super spooky. You would try to talk to the six inch dude. Or you'd grab it because <laughs> anything that's small enough to grab. Now, again, he's a kid. But I can understand why he grabbed it because... Well, actually, no, I can't because I, kids don't normally walk around grabbing squirrels and stuff like that. I mean, babies, maybe. But, I mean, now that I think about it, what if this was just a six-foot guy? Faisal was walking on the street. Would he be grabbing on it? Get off of me, kid. What are you doing? But he grabs the six-inch dude, the little guy, little guy, <sighs> bears his teeth, and then begins super scratching him up. Ah! And scratches him up so much... That Faisal drops the dude, guy runs into the bushes. You're thinking, okay, that's bizarre, right? A little feral, you know. It's not that he just scratched him up, bared his teeth, and then scratched him up. It wouldn't make sense for a six-inch person to have some really good self-defense techniques. Not that it has to know, like, chokeholds and stuff like that, but that it would have claws. I wonder... No, that's not... Wait a second. Think about it. Small animals have claws, and big animals don't, right? So, like, cats have claws, and then tigers have claws. You're like, tigers aren't small. Well, think about it. Okay. You have, like, birds. They're tiny. They have claws, right? But then humans don't. And then cats have claws, because, you know, they're, like, clawing at uh, 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 mice and stuff like that. Why don't dogs have claws? Why don't dogs? 
Wouldn't that be, like, good if, when they're, like, attacking bears and stuff like that? Bears have claws. They're pretty big. That doesn't work with my hypothesis. But this is what I'm getting at. Hippopotamuses, rhinos, elephants, they don't have claws. So, I think the bigger you get, the less likely it is you're going to have claws. If you have claws, you need every advantage possible to have. What if everyone says that t- cats are small tigers, right? So, like, ca- there's a bunch of tigers running around. And they kept having, <laughs> having babies, and the babies got smaller and smaller, and that's where house cats came from. I'm going to give a different idea. You're like, Jason, that's nobody said that. That's no scientific theory ever. What if all cats started off as little, and then they got big, and that's why they still have their claws? But then, a thousand years from now, lions and tigers will no longer have claws, because they'll not need them. What do they use claws for anyways? They don't. They don't really climb trees. Like... Why do bears have claws, actually? Like, isn't just... Because gorillas don't have claws, right? So I'm going to stand by my theory. I'm going to stand by my theory that the bigger the animal... (laughs) The bear doesn't count. The bigger the animal, the less likely it is to have claws. Because if an elephant had claws... Is an elephant eat meat? That might be the thing. Maybe it's meat eater. Wait, no, but rhinos... Oh, wait, no. (laughs) That's it. That's it. Meat eaters have claws and omnivores and herbivores. You have elephants being like, ah, ripping open, but never mind. Okay. So where was I at? Oh, so, so this guy must be a carnivore because he has claws. That's what I was trying to get at. I wonder if there's a carnivore. Never mind. I'm not going to. Okay. So that's that. April 1989, one month later, Selang Baru, Malaysia. We're still here. We never left town. We've been eating their delicious noodles. I'm assuming that they eat noodles over there. We're eating noodles and rice, and it's so super tasty. Mmm. It's tasting so good in my little quarantined belly. Tasting so yummy. We're going to meet a dude named Nor Osmi Maud Jamal. Nor Osmi Maud Jamal. He's walking home from school. He's coming the opposite direction, but the same area. I don't actually know if it's the same geographical area, but same town. He's walking home from school. He is sees, walking across the street... Two six-inch dudes. One of them's actually a girl. So two six-inch dudes. One of them's wearing a brown shirt and shorts, which is actually kind of comfortable because Malaysian is pretty tropical. They're not dressed like the leprechaun. They're not dressing like big old hats and stuff like that. Jackets. That's actually a good point. The leprechaun's dressed up like... <laughs> okay, wait a second. I'm thinking of the leprechaun from the leprechaun movies. That's not his actual... But a leprechaun wears a jacket and he wears like big old socks and pants. Like pants, like shorts. They're shorts, but he has like long socks. Because Ireland is cold. Ireland's cold. But if you had cryptids in more tropical areas, they'd be wearing like a little sun hat and like a Bermuda shirt, a little short sleeve shirt. You wouldn't want to see, like, if you were a cryptid, if you were a mythological creature in a warm climate, you would dress accordingly. That's actually really interesting because it shows, well, it shows one of two things. It shows that cryptids would have to maintain some sort of internal body temperature that they're also affected by the climate or that the people making up the stories make them up in a way that's relatable to the people in their culture i.e if you were in ireland and you were talking about a leprechaun you wouldn't say he was he had a boogie board and wear shorts and no shirt people would be like wouldn't he freeze to death and why does he have a boogie board what's a boogie board so it's one of those two things most likely the second one anyways he's walking on the street he sees two six inch people one of them is wearing a brown shirt brown shorts the other one is wearing a brown shirt and a little skirt and 
he he sees these little guys and he does this is what I think would be more likely than reaching out and grabbing one. He starts chasing them. Now, I said I would sit down and go, what's your name? But if it was like walking, I, I would also probably be likely to pursue them as well. I'd still want to talk to him, but that's a pretty natural thing. He starts chasing them and they take off into the bushes. But a few days later, Nor, this kid Nor is at home. So he walks into his bathroom and the, the, like, you have like the bathroom sink. And he sees one of the little dudes just kind of hanging out, sitting on like the porcelain, just hanging out, just chilling on his sink. What? world's going on and then he looks and he sees that the basin of the sink is filled with water and the other one's totally naked washing itself now i don't know if it took like a sliver of soap i laddie gotta get clean irish spring maybe this is a really a commercial for irish spring the little dude is washing himself which that would be awesome Right? I would do multiple things right there. One, I'd get a camera. Now, to be fair, that's not... I'm not a pervert. I'm not a pervert. I'm not going to post these photos on foundcryptidsnew.com or, like, cryptids on camera, stuff like that. I'm not trying to be a pervert because there's a <laughs> there's a naked cryptid in my sink. I'd grab a camera for proof because no one's going to believe you, obviously. And then I would still try to talk to the guys, but then I would sell the water online a bunch of weirdos and be like, hey, guys, how would you like to buy water that a six-inch person took a bath in? And they would respond, man or woman. And I'd go, doesn't matter. A six-inch person took a bath in this. Okay, it was the woman. Oh, yeah, 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 I'll buy it, buy it. So anyways, he doesn't specify if it was the dude or the girl who was taking the bath, but... We'll just assume, just to make the story a little more sexy, it was a six-inch woman in there. And so anyways, he's watching her take a bath, and then he reaches in, this is the instinct, he goes to grab the girl in the sink, and surprise, surprise, he gets attacked. He gets bit really, really hard, and drops her, and the two little people took off. Now, he goes to tell his parents, obviously. He has to explain why his hand is bleeding profusely. What happened to you? I tried grabbing a naked woman. No, mom, don't get mad. She was only six inches tall. Okay, I'm not a pervert. Well, kind of a pervert, but what would you do? He tells his parents this, and this story, I got both of these off of that website, thinkaboutitdocs.com. Historians with this sentence, quote, he told his parents about the incident, but they did not believe him, unquote. Isn't that the, the tragedy that lives on forever? Haven't we all been there? That moment where we got bit by a naked six-inch woman and we went to our parents, the people who love us so much. Mom, Dad, I got bit by a tiny person taking a bath in our sink. And then you being not believed. That is the true tragedy of this world. Let's go ahead and move on to our... I find that story funny. I like that story. I like little people running around. I think it's cute. I mean, the, the constant assaults by the giants, maybe not so cute, but I do find it fascinating. And... It makes you think, what would you do if you saw a tiny person? I think I would try to talk to them and probably take pictures of them and sell their bath water. But I don't think I'd be grabbing them all the time just because they're tiny. Because, again, I don't grab mice that are running around. Let's go ahead and move on to our last story. We're headed out to West Virginia. All of this information I got from an article, I want to give credit where credit's due, from a website called West Virginia Explorer. The article is Horse Creek Ghost, set to foretell the demise of presidents. And it was written by David Sibre. So let's hop back on board the car. Let's take the Jason Jalopy. We haven't been driving for a long time. Well, we're in Malaysia. Fine. Let's hop back on the Carpenter Copter. We're going to fly out to West Virginia. We're going to learn about the Horse Creek Ghost. April 8th, 1865. 
Major Walter Hansen and his buddy Elijah Miller, those are some old-timey names for you, are hunting. They're out hunting by Horse Creek in West Virginia. And they hear something in the bushes. Turn around quickly! They spin around to face the noise. Think it's a deer, an elk? Possibly an elk with claws. They've evolved. They eat meat now. And as the Major's ready to face this evolution abomination, a woman steps out of the bushes, dressed in all black, clothes soaking wet. She points her finger at the men and says, Lincoln will be gone before the full moon rises. And they're like, what? Because Lincoln's still president. And then she, I don't know if she flashes away or she just kind of like points at him for a while and then kind of puts her arm back down and then just stands there silently and then is kind of like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back into the bushes. She turns and walks away. She simply disappears. Now it's 1865. It's not like you can just pick up a newspaper. Major Walter Hansen said it took him two months to find out that Abraham Lincoln had been shot by the coward, what was his name? I don't remember, Jimmy Olsen. What was that guy's name? Lee Harvey Oswald? No, that was the other guy. Who was the guy who shot uh, Lincoln? Not Aaron Burr. And then he jumped and he, like, fell. He jumped and he, like, slid down a curtain all dramatically. What was his name, dude? He was that actor. Um, Who shot Lincoln? And then he ran, and then he hid in a barn, and then the authorities surround him. You're like, Jason, you know all this stuff? You, you don't know his name? They set the barn on fire, and he died. There's always been that big conspiracy theory that he didn't die in the barn, that he got away. What was his name? Patton Oswalt? It started with an O. I think it had an O in it, right? I'm going to Google it here real quick. It had an O in it. That That's specific. Let's see. Um, who killed Lincoln? What was his name? Perkins? John Wilkes Booth. See, there's three O's in it. That's what was throwing me off. There's too many O's. It's throwing me off. John Wilkes Booth shoots Abraham Lincoln, uh, then does all that other stuff I said, and may or may not have gotten away with it. But anyways, now we're going to go to the year 1881, and this guy named Clyde Perdue and his wife, doesn't matter what her name is, are driving, are riding their horses or whatever down this same street by Horse Creek in West Virginia. And this one's interesting. So the first time you had the woman, I'm going to assume she was hot, coming out of the bushes, dressed in all black, dripping wet. This one, you still have the black clothing. So this thing comes out in a black shawl. That's still dripping wet. But this time it's a flaming skull and crossbones. It's kind of weird. They're driving down the road and they see this flaming skull and crossbones with a wearing a black dripping wet shawl appear in front of them. And the skeleton guy goes... James Garfield's going to be assassinated. <laughs> and again, I don't know if it faded away or just kind of floated there for a while. And then they drove past it and they're like waving to it in the rearview mirror or they're on horses. So they were just, I don't actually know whether, were cars invented? <laughs> I was thinking that I was like, cars were around in 1881, right? But like, there was only like two of them. And you're like, Jason, this might be your least informed episode ever. That that may be true, but I think cars were around in 1881, but nobody had them. So I think these guys are on horses. Doesn't really matter. Has no bearing on the plot. The point is, is that a flaming skull and crossbones said that James Garfield was going to be assassinated, and he was in 1881. 1963, there's this dude named Max Alberts. Tell me if this isn't the most depressing job possible. He's a traveling... <laughs> I mean, how much money could you possibly... This is the Al Bundy of the 1960s. He was a traveling magazine subscription salesman. 
So you would just walk around the country or drive around the country because I know cars were invented in 1963 or they were around. And you go up and knock on people's doors and says, would you like to buy 12 issues of this Life magazine? Like how much money could you possibly make doing that? It's ridiculous. I mean, and then you basically, or you can buy a magazine and all those little cards fall out of it that you can do subscriptions and stuff like that for. That's so sad. That's so sad, right? But anyways, this guy, maybe it was his favorite job in the world, Max Alberts, traveling magazine subscription salesman. I remember once this this salesman came to my mom's house. Well, I, it was my house, too, when I was a kid. She, this traveling salesman came to our house to sell us, like, a, a vacuum cleaner or a set of knives or whatever he was selling, right? And we had a little bowl of milk laid out for a, a local cat. It wasn't our cat. It was, like, a stray cat, but we fed him, fed him milk every day. I mean, if we were, you know, we didn't know that milk causes cats to have diarrhea everywhere, but it wasn't our cat, so what, we didn't care. And so we'd set this milk out, and I remember one day... My mom, like, I see her talking at the door, and she's like, no, no, that's okay. We don't want anything. And then she goes, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And um, then she shuts the door, and I was like, what? What happened? And mom goes, oh, my oh my goodness. I feel so bad. I feel so bad. I go, what? what? Okay, now what's going on? She goes, well, this man came to the house, and he all, he looked down on his luck. He looked like things were not going well in his life, and he's a door-to-door salesman. So that's a really difficult job. And he already looked like things weren't going well. And knocked on the door, tried to sell my mom something. She said no. And then as he went to leave, he stepped <laughs> he stepped in He stepped in the bowl of cat milk, spilling cat milk all over his pant leg. Right? I mean it wasn't cat milk. It wasn't milk from a cat, but it was it was a sizable amount of milk. He got it all over his leg. And I remember my mom, was she felt really bad about it. Because here you have this guy who's already, things aren't going good for him. Now he has milk all over his clothes. The worst material, because you got to wash it right away. Otherwise, you're going to start smelling like sour milk. It's all over his sock. It's all over his shoe. And my mom's telling the story, and she can't finish it without kind of smiling, right? Because it's also, it's like, you're so down on your luck, and then you get milk. <laughs> And then you get milk all over you. And we always we always felt super bad for the guy. But me and my brother and my mom always used that as an end of a phrase. Whenever we were talking about bad news, we were like, yeah, and Johnny, not only did he fall down and break his ankle, but then his girlfriend left him. And then he stepped in some milk. Like, that was always the way for us to end a phrase of a streak of bad luck was stepped in some milk. So maybe that maybe that salesman is listening to us right now. Anyways, cat milk aside, or just milk for cats aside, in 1963, Max Alberts is driving down the street. He sees the woman, it's a woman again this time, dressed in all black, soaking wet clothes. Now this is interesting, because all of these stories were a local legend in the area, and then they became campfire stories that people told all over West Virginia. And then they were collected in a book of writings by a guy named Jim Comstock. He wrote wrote about this story in the 1970s. It's been nationwide since. This one's interesting because this one, he's driving down the road and this phantom, this woman walks out of the bushes, dripping wet, black clothes, a phantom, an oracle of death, and the guy doesn't hear what she says. He's driving down the road and he sees her step out into the road 
and she points at him, and he she's saying something, but he doesn't hear what she's saying. What? What? I'm sorry, lady. What? She's like, Kennedy will die. And he's like, Why? Well, I can't hear you. I'm like, What? The car is super loud. She's like, I'm trying to warn you. Kennedy's gonna. Die. He doesn't stop. He just keeps on driving. And this story is included in this collection because in 1963 is when Kennedy died. Now he apparently told people when he got to the next town, it was super weird. I was driving on the road. This woman popped out of the bushes, started yelling at me, and I just kept driving. And people are like, uh, and then Kennedy dies that year. What's interesting about that part of the story is that if the story's made up, that wouldn't be in there, right? If the story is 100% made up, you wouldn't add in a part where the guy doesn't hear the warning. Does that make sense? Like, if you're, and I've always, I've used this for a couple different times, a couple different episodes. If the story's made up, it should be more a little more sensational. It doesn't have to be over the top. It doesn't have to be that she actually like hopped out of his glove box and said, Lee Harvey Oswald's going to shoot. You don't have to have it that dramatic, but he should at least have heard the warning. Because if you're making it up, you can change the facts however you want. The fact that he didn't hear the warning at all and simply told someone later that this happened and everyone was like, oh, makes me think that the story might be true. So that's kind of creepy that for whatever reason, this location... Now, there are five different places in West Virginia called Horse Creek. Nobody knows which one it actually is. Which again, makes me... If it was made up, you would say it was this Horse Creek and this location. And these these are what happened each time. This is what the person said. You can make it super specific because you're making it up out of whole cloth. This is the interesting part. Let's say that this is true. Let's accept that these stories are true. There's a location, for whatever reason, Horse Creek in West Virginia, that a phantom will appear whenever a president is assassinated. If that story's true, you know as well as I do that there is a Secret Service agent in that area now. The first time, there was no Secret Service back when Lincoln was killed. No one think about it. And the second time when Garfield died, you'd be like, oh, that's kind of weird, right? But by the third time that it happens, you know if if the CIA is testing like psychic abilities, walking through walls, all this stuff, you know that someone in the government has heard these stories and said, let's find this horse creek. There's only five of them. And if they don't know which one's which, you could have someone in each location. You could easily pay someone to just fish all day long at horse creek. It doesn't have to be the same guy. They can work shifts. But you'd have someone there all the time. What would it really cost? You have five locations, rotating shifts. You have two to three people working a camp at a time. So for 15 employees, you could predict whether or not a president was going to be assassinated. And what's interesting is that the last sighting was in 1963. In all of these sightings, the person warns of the death ahead of time. Let's them know it's coming. So is it possible that after 1963, word gets out about this urban legend of West Virginia, which is right in that hub of you have the Pentagon, you have Langley, all that stuff. They say, let's take some agents, have them camp out. It'll be a big old, they can sit there and make s'mores all day long, big old jamboree. We can come and visit on the weekends. And if this happens again, we'll be warned. In the 1980s, Reagan was almost assassinated. He was shot. You had a secret... As the guy was pulling the trigger, putting bullets into Reagan, one of the Secret Service agents jumped in and stuck his finger in between the trigger and the other part of the gun where the trigger goes. He stuck his finger in behind the trigger so another shot couldn't get out. 
That's one in a million. That's what training's for. Sticking your finger as it's going pop. As that trigger's pulling back. Pop. Pop. His finger goes in and jams the gun. He can't get another shot off. Is it possible that on that day, people were prepared for an attack on the president? Is it possible that there are creeks in West Virginia staffed by Secret Service agents just in case? It may seem like a tall tale. It may seem like a campfire story. But when you have the life of the leader of the free world on the line, is it really that much trouble to have a couple Secret Service agents fishing, hunting, and waiting for a spirit to warn them of an assassination? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Stay safe, be kind, I love you guys, and I will see you tomorrow.